Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh. A great episode for you today. I, I genuinely mean that. I had Josh Ellis, who's a local entrepreneur here in Nashville, on the episode here in my living room. He's the owner and founder of Withco. He's got an amazing story, but I think the thing that I get most excited about is in this episode, Josh is just a beautiful job of kind of highlighting the shadows of entrepreneurship. These things that people don't talk about, but that you should know. And, and it's, it's the shadows of success is really what it is because with great success comes great weight, great challenge, and they can live together and it's equally as beautiful, but it is something to be fully aware of. Um, and I know I'm speaking for Josh, but I believe in his heart, him sharing this, he wants to give someone, you, the opportunity to feel the emotions and not judge them. So <clears throat> get ready for a great episode with a great human. Let's go. <laughs> I think I think a good place to start is is kind of I, I would call how you fell into entrepreneurship. Yeah, uh, started in Franklin, Tennessee. Not yeah. too far. Yeah. Um, so I think I think this will help kind of lay a little bit of the land. So grew up in the entrepreneurial family. I guess at that time we just called our parents business owners. Uh-huh. Both your parents uh, were? No, my dad was. Okay. But I mean when a spouse is a business owner, then collectively it's it's a whole house thing, right? Yeah. It's the whole financial decision making, all that, I guess. So my mom played a significant role, which now I see with my wife also plays a significant role in that. So grew up kind of family business, didn't really know, didn't really know much other than my dad getting up every day and building a business and I was in the car industry. So naturally big car guy, just kind of grew up in that and had a handful of dealerships in downtown Franklin. Originally started with out in Orange County, Mercedes mm -hmm. and Volkswagen. They moved to Nashville in 87 and worked for a couple of dealerships, started his own. And, you know, for me, there was just this natural instinct to want to kind of follow in those footsteps, right? Mm -hmm. um, so throughout high school, I found every opportunity I could to go work on the car lot. And one thing that my dad did really well was wanted me to experience different parts of the business. So some seasons I was prepping cars for the lot, running around, taking the, the transmission shop, the paint shop, kind of doing more of the prep work to get them on the lot mm -hmm. ready. Uh, other times I was, you know, on the lot talking with customers at like, you know, 16 years old, trying to sell a car. Um, and then one of the most significant chapters, I think that kind of started the, I guess my own sense of ownership in it behind the car lot, there was this maybe thousand square foot, just dingy shop garage door on both end. And he said, uh, I'm going to rent this shop and I need you to detail and prep the cars there. So of course, knowing me, I throw together a $99 detail card and start passing it out. 
best deal in town, right? Who are you passing it out to? Anybody I could find. <laughs> uh, people driving by, stopping by, going, hey, do you know how to where to find X, Y, or Z? We're on Columbia Avenue in downtown Franklin, so high foot traffic. Um, you know, friends, family, anyone we could find. I'm like, hey, $99, I'll detail your car. And so that was the kind of the first step and not just like detailing my dad's cars, but now taking on that like professionalism. And I'm like, you know, 16, 17 years old and started just having customers and detailing these cars, working the car a lot. I mean, for me, Saturdays, Saturdays were, you know, wake up, get to the lot by like eight o'clock. So mm-hmm. I missed, I missed a, a many, many opportunities that were friends were doing what kids do at that age. And for me, there's just this instinct of like, I want to go there. And for me, it was skill training, right? I was learning a craft and, you know, I watched my dad as the business started growing, I got, I got brought in a little bit behind the curtain. So I was able to see kind of the highs and lows, the real aspect of it, not just the kid at home who dad, whose dad provides and everything's taken care of, but actually kind of holding some of that weight and responsibility. My dad and I have the same name. So sometimes I'm mm. running checks to the bank. We actually talked about this on a phone call last night. My dad was like, remember the days that I'm like, you got to get to bank of America at before four 59. Mm-hmm. And if they've closed the curtain, bang on the window. Cause we have to get these checks in. And it's so relatable to what I'm experiencing some days in my business of just some days with cash flow and and the responsibility of paying a bill or whatever. Like it just was, that's where I started kind of seeing the inner workings, uh, some of the responsibility, some of the risks, some of the discomfort that obviously comes with paying people and floating the money for all these cars while they're sitting on the lot. Yeah. So, you know, one of the biggest things I took away from my experience there that I still hold true today. And actually I talked about it yesterday with somebody is more so the human psychology to business and selling things is what my dad really spent time instilling in me. What I mean by that is it's not so much, Hey, I'm going to sell you this, right? It's understanding the right questions, the body language, when to lean in, when to lean back and listen, and really define like the true pain point that people are trying to solve. So when they come on that car lot, you know, it's not so much, what are you looking to buy? It's asking questions. Who's it for? Oh, kid at college. Awesome. What college? Being interested in that, building that level of trust and relationship, knowing they're probably going to buy a car, whether it's here or somewhere else. But what they want is to be listened to and they want, they have a pain point and solving that with a level of like intention and, and really being interested. And I think that served me when I left cars, I went into three other industries that all had some form of selling a product or service, but what remained the same is the approach of what I just talked about. So it didn't matter the product. It didn't matter what I was selling. It was that approach of the intentionality of kind of leaning in and asking questions and then, and watching the body language. If there's a, if you see a body cue of something you've said, understanding was that excitement or was that concern? And then being able to step in and really stay on that pain point. So I just, that was a big part of it. Like my dad would take time and be like, Hey, some people just came on the lot. Let's talk about 
before we go out there, huh? What's the dynamic? Uh, dad doesn't want to be here. Mom wants to be here. Kids are distracted. <laughs> great training. And we would just sit there. And sometimes we were right. Sometimes we were wrong. But it allowed you to kind of go out there with a different perception than just, unfortunately, that kind of car, car man, car salesman uh, cliche, which is very true. Um, so yeah, taught taught me a lot, but it gave me that kind of itch that there's something fun about building and bringing to life something that you started from scratch. I mean, at the core, that's where that, that kind of came from and and seeing it done in a way that was done more from the heart instead of the head. Yeah. It was very much a heart approach. It was like my dad could sell one family, six cars cause they had six kids. Right. And they bought them in different seasons of turning 16. Right. And be like, man, that family has bought six cars from us because the relationship went so deep. It was donating cars to people in need. It was finding ways of, you know, turning our family business into a form of ministry, if you will. Yeah. People first. Yeah, um, you were building relationships. Mm-hmm. So grew up. Did the whole car dealership thing. I think in parallel. You were 16 at the time? Right? Yeah. Yeah. 16, 17, 18, 19 were like my true days on the lot. I've had probably 35 cars myself. So I was wheeling and dealing my on my own. Yeah. Buying like 67 Mustangs or old Jeep CJs. Anything that I was interested in. Yeah. I now had the ability to like go, hey, dad, can we buy this? Run it through the lot. I'm going to get it ready. I'm going to put my own price on it. I'm going to put it on the lot. I'm going to put it on uh, Craigslist at the time. Uh, and so it allowed me to kind of have the freedom to feel like I could run my own business without having the full responsibility of it. Talk a little bit about though. I remember when you and I first chatted, there was this, as you're seeing all the the fruits of what your dad's teaching you and your own experience, talk about, you're still in school mm-hmm. and you're right. The kind of, yeah. they, those things did not pair any longer. I think what I realized early on is like, well, I, I should say what I struggled with early on that now I have a perception and a better understanding for was that I didn't feel like I fit in okay. to how I was being taught within the confines of a classroom. Yeah. I could excel through my dad teaching me something with intention and then letting me put my hands on it and mold it and actually like be a doer and learning that way. Yeah. And I felt like in the classroom I was taught information, had to short term cram it in my memory and then comply and say, Hey, I listened well. Now I can pass this test. Mm-hmm. And if I pass the test, then I now can get moved to the next grade. Mm-hmm. And if I didn't comply, I would do that great over. I never got held back, but I also did not excel the way that I think the system was set up to approve people. It's like, you're doing well On to the next. For me, grades started to not be a affirmation of intellect, but an affirmation of compliance. Mm. Are you doing what we need you to do? Mm. And when you look back at some people that have really analyzed the school system, in many ways, a lot of it is industrial age, right? So mm. we're going to put you in rows. 
We're going to teach you to comply. Then we're going to move you through this system of college. I think there's many reasons to go to college for certain degrees. And I think there's many reasons to not. I think it's a really young age for people to feel like they are forced into making a decision that oftentimes you hear they never used. Yeah. For me, it, the unfortunate thing is I feel like I was put in a box of uh, a rebellious or this kid needs more help or he's just not getting it. I got it. I could have excelled, but there was a rebellious spirit in me that also was like, I don't like the way that you guys are putting, teaching, putting me in a place where assuming we all learn the same way. Yeah. It was like, take me outside of the classroom and set up an experiment in the field to teach me how this works. Mm. And I'll be able to answer any test you want, but talk to me for hours. And I wasn't able to really, there was a level of, wasn't that an intellect level. It was a lack of interest level and a little bit of like, this is just not how I learn. And I felt like the, in my opinion, I wish the school system, if they had the ability to could individualize each person's learning experience and then tailor an education system for that. And so obviously that's a lot easier said than done. Yeah. So my, I think my outlet was getting out of school and driving to the lot yeah. and then going there and feeling like, man, I'm really good at this. And all I was doing there was going through a schooling system Yeah. that was different. And ultimately it was the education that has served me today more so than anything I was ever taught. hundred percent. That story you just shared with me when you were sitting down mm-hmm. of you hustling and building a relationship and getting yeah. money through that. Um, I'm curious though, before, before we kind of transition into mid to current, current day, this, it sounds like that your dad created this really safe space for you to learn and experiment. Mm-hmm. At what point did you hit like your first super big challenge that you had to overcome? Um, I think watching the family business fail. Mm. Uh, and there was a, there was many reasons for it. So this, where the company, where the family was at, I don't think I've shared this with many people, but probably where our family was at was we lived in on main street in downtown Franklin mm. in a, you know, late 1800s, beautiful, historic, you know, probably a $3 million house now. And at that time was like, just the street you want to be on it. I think mm. it represented like they must do well. It's historic. It's like, it is the main street in downtown Franklin. Yeah. We had probably three to four rental property, five rental properties. We owned some of the car lots. Um, and I could just kind of like see the future, which was, I think I'm going to take this over. My version of it though, is to do it in warehouses with more higher end niche cars, cars that I was passionate about. Uh-huh. My dad was very much, let's serve the cash buyer, the savers of the world, the people that know that they don't need to go and buy a brand new car when they know they could spend 10 to 20 and find a really reliable car. So mm-hmm. he loves serving that aspect, that community. And there's a big pain point for that, right? It's the, it's the people that are like, we're saving our money to buy our first car for our kid or the kids saving their money. Like my dad said, if you guys want a car, whatever you have, I'll match. Yeah. 
so we were even taught at a young age of like yeah my my parents never really spent a lot of money on us on those type of things they spent a lot of money on travel you know which i love that was kind of like if we're gonna put money into our kids it's experience and culture but so going back had rental properties you know we're able to do what we wanted to do multiple vacations a year it just didn't really seem like anything could go wrong yeah my dad had taken on quite a bit of investor money from elders in the church other business professionals that he was friends with guys that have done really well in life so now the company is to that place where it's buying more inventory it's growing to more dealerships and you know there was probably some maybe growing too fast that happened and i think a level of keeping up with even though that was completely against what he wanted i think it was just what they fell into mm -hmm. it's like the house more rentals, living this life, the new cars, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Funny enough, my dad is happy with, could live in a van with a, two shirts. Yeah. And he'll be happier there. Yeah. I say that because that's his current situation. Yeah. I remember you sharing that He's with him. Happier you. now mm. without the weight of the world. And now he, in his, in his mind, is free for whatever God brings in front of him that day. He's available <laughs> to serve or speak into that moment. Wow. Or, walk the streets and hang out with the homeless and know them by name and be friends with them five, six, seven, ten years plus with some of the people that are literally living on the streets of Belmont wow. and, and Hillsborough village. Like those are his friends. And like, he is a true, like I'm going to go to the lost cause that's where the light really needs to be. So he's funny how happy he is now living in this way where back then it was kind of this, everything's building the pressures on over leveraged a flood came in 2010, May of 2010, and flooded a lot of Nashville. You could take a boat down 65. People were getting saved off of 18-wheelers because the water was so high. Boats are going down Broadway. It's really interesting if you go to YouTube and type May flood Nashville. I don't think many people know about that. And Franklin, the Harpeth River, swerves and weaves all throughout. And one of our car lots was less than a half a mile from the Harpeth. This was probably like definitely the most traumatic day I think I experienced as a kid <laughs> is when the water started hitting the lot, it was about tire level. And within 10 minutes, it would be at the base of the car. Mm. 20 minutes, you're forcing doors open to get into these cars as fast as possible. Water's flowing in. You're like, this car is done. Leave it. And that day when the flood really started filling up in Franklin, it was all hands on deck to save as many cars as you could. Cause nobody had flood insurance. Mm -hmm. Why would you have flood insurance when yeah. it doesn't flood? Yeah. This was a natural like disaster. That day was so interesting or smashing car windows climbing in couldn't find keys like anything we could do to save as much inventory as possible then it starts getting into the building and i remember being about waist deep in water in the car lot office and we're carrying boxes of titles and paperwork mm. and anything because a car without a title is not worth much so we're doing everything we can to be like we have to save what we can, but minute by minute, I remember actually seeing 
a surge protector light on under the water. Mm-hmm. So we're like just in the office. And I think there was no, um, no moment for grief or sadness. It was just adrenaline. Yeah. So we're pulling all these cars to, you know, bank of America across the street. That was a little bit higher up. And that was a, that was a day. I think I, it settled in that things, my plan was not maybe going to work out the way I thought, which was, I'm going to take this over, build it, et cetera. Again, at this point, I'm, Nine, 19 and that's what shifted some things we didn't recover and lost all the rentals mm. parents ended up getting divorced during that time i was married at 19 to somebody i started going through a divorce during this i didn't know you were married before yeah wow so there's this wild season when most of my friends are running to college or, you know, they're partying. They're doing what you do, right? They're having fun. They just got out of the house. They have their independence. Yeah. Here I am carrying this wild weight of watching my dad and mom hold it together with everything in their world collapsing. Mm -hmm. 32-year marriage, I believe, collapsing. Their son going through his own divorce after, you know, two years of being married as a teenager. And that was probably this, the toughest season. We were kind of, I think, idolized as this family of like, man, they're, they're the family that we all wish that we grew up with. Like mm-hmm. my parents' house was very big and upstairs. We had our own separate staircase that went upstairs to the, our floor. Mm-hmm. You know, my parents would come up and at any given weekend, there'd be three to five people spending the night. Like we just were very much a communal type house for, you know, all of us me and my siblings and all of our friends. We'd have people that we would meet at church. You were like, I'm just visiting, but I think I should move. My parents are like, move on in. Yeah. And I have friends to this day that we became friends because they lived at my parents' house for a season. And now they still live in Nashville. And I've been friends with them for 15 years. So losing that house, losing the business that I thought was my future. uh, I didn't take any of my college prep testing or anything. I'm like, I'm not going. I'm not even going to show up to take any test at high school. Like I'm, I'm not, that's not the road for me. So I had made all these very concrete decisions and then everything just kind of started unfolding. I was lending my dad money. We're trying to like scramble around to figure out how to basically get a state of solvency and went from probably like relatively well financially to bankrupt in under 12 months. Wow. And I will never know the full weight of it because my parents protected us Mm -hmm. through a lot of the divorce stuff. They protected us through a lot of the bankruptcy stuff. And I think now I can see it as one of the weirdly, one of the greatest gifts to how my life has now become with my marriage now new marriage uh, or my second wife and just running a business and being able to see the high and the low and weirdly not being afraid of either and understanding that they're both part of the journey, right? Yeah. Businesses fail all the time. Marriages fail. Relationships fail. Uh, You say you're less, less afraid. It helped me understand that 
certain things are out of my control. And it's not the end of the world when certain chapters close. And there's redemption. And there's another side to the story. And there's rebirthing. And there's ways, there's like recovery. And there's healing. And I think it just exposed me to like, hey, the rest of your life, there will be things that happen that feel as monumental as this. And even if you can't control them, you're going to have to journey them. You're going to have to sit through them. You're going to have to go through that. And I think what it did is it made me just feel a little less oblivious to what life really is, which is full of surprises and ups and downs and everything in between Mm. versus going into the world, just fully everything's bright and perfect and beautiful. Mm. And even though it was probably the most challenging thing, it took my family. I mean, even to this day, there's underlying things that have still never recovered from that. Yeah. Imagine mistrust and codependency and just, yeah, we're going through our stuff, but here we are. I'm 32. Yeah. We're talking 12 years ago and it's still things that are coming up that we're working through. So that I think to answer your question was kind of the biggest challenge was there's an oh shit moment and this is it. And how do you respond? I mean, I don't think I even had the mechanisms in my own kind of healing to walk through that. Like, think about that. My divorce, parents divorce, the parents divorce all of a sudden that affects everybody. Sibling shifts like nothing is what it was and it never has been, but there's also some beauty in what it turned into. And then the business, like all three of those at one time kind of made me go, wow. I want to be self-employed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you want to be an entrepreneur? Now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, Let's keep going. That's, yeah, yeah. That, that's what's so interesting is you kept going. So there I am. The wild thing is the flood happened on like May 2nd or May 5th, somewhere in there. I got married on May 15th. Second marriage? No, the first one. Okay. So it was a little bit of a sequence, right? The business didn't actually like, everything didn't fold and fail right after the flood. Okay. It was about a year, year and a half of, you know, we still had the other lots. And I think what was happening is behind the scenes, there was a massive unraveling that took time. Yeah. But I didn't really know all the details. So I just was like showing up and my dad needed me to move a car somewhere. There wasn't really questions asked. He needed me to run a check. I'd run the check to the bank. Like I just was like, kind of went into support mode, co-pilot mode. Yeah. Like dad, you can't fly today. I'll hold the, I'll hold the plane. Let's go. That probably led to some shifts in our relationship. And now I mean, we talk every other day mm. and you know, it's a, it's an amazing relationship now. We can talk about those things and in a very healthy way, like yeah. son, do you remember the day that you did this? Yeah. Do you know what that meant? And the weight of the world that was on my shoulders. So in a weird way, I kind of went in, it was almost role reversal for a while where I almost became this, not parental, but almost this, uh, we went from father, son and mother, son to almost a friend, more of a friendship type of level Mm -hmm. where I was there for them in different ways. And I was able to carry the weight of things that they needed to, say to somebody because their worlds were falling apart. 
So my relationship with my parents is incredible today and always will be. Uh, so there I am. Did about a year, year and a half of what I would call like uh, turbulence and a little bit of just not knowing the full story. I just knew that there was gonna. I needed to probably go find my next thing. What 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 allows you to to have the confidence to keep moving though? I don't know if there was confidence. I think that stayed in my life. I was in a survival. Like it was like facts up against the wall kind of thing. Yeah. Like what are you going to do? Yeah. You can't save the business. You can't save your marriage. You can't save your parents' marriage. And you're not going to school. Yeah. What are you going to do? You know? But why, think, yeah. But why not get like a nine to five? Not it, that there's anything wrong with that, yeah, but yeah. I'm just, that, that just seemed like a, a, that would be a safe place to land for a little bit to, to ride the turbulence out. Well, I pretty much did something similar. So at that time, when I was 18, 19, during all this, I I had the opportunity to buy two businesses mm-hmm. separate. I was going to buy one of them. But at the time, two opportunities came up. One was a friend's dad who owned a like a really cool, when I say like a body shop, that doesn't sound exciting. This family was from the West Coast and had made this just badass, like 67 Volkswagen VW bus was their like shop van that was all wrapped. It was over by the bowling alley in Franklin. Like it was just a rad looking place. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I know I'm in the car space. This could be interesting. And he was like looking at selling it. Mm. The other was a friend of mine that owned a detail company in Franklin that had a really big book of business. And I remember being like, I think I might try to buy a business. So I started learning how to do that. And my dad, you know, had some, his only thing was, are you sure you want to get into that industry at your age, managing mechanics and detail people and shifts. And like, he knew, Mm. are you sure this is really the time Mm -hmm. he supported me in it and was willing to walk with me through it. But what ended up happening is the owner of the detail shop, uh, the detail business kind of running on its own. So he went and joined an insurance company called Liberty Mutual. We've all seen those terrible commercials. Yeah. And he's like, dude, you would be so good at this. Literally, you're solving problems and adding value in people's life through something that they're going to buy from somebody. Like, they have to have it. I'm like, at this point, I think I had had my, my ears were gauged. I had a nose ring, a lip ring. My hair was down to here. My dad's hair has always been down to here. So when you come to the car lot, I mean, we're, we're hippies. There's probably another podcast where I can tell you about us living on the road in school buses and doing ministry and traveling the U S <laughs> your dad like, went back to his roots. <laughs> he never left. His he never roots. left him. <laughs> um, yeah. We had a whole ministry that just, you know, served hippies and went to rainbow, something called rainbow gatherings. Mm-hmm. Google it. It's quite interesting. Okay. Um, and so there I was going like, dude, look at me. The only re- way I, the only reason why I can look like this and sell cars is because it's my dad's business. And it's kind of like, we look like we go together. Right. Mm-hmm. But then there was this other aspect that's like, dude, you're not in school. What if you treated this as an opportunity to go learn a trade and potentially you could make a bunch of money 
while you're learning this. Mm -hmm. I was like, I know, but it's insurance. And at the time, my wife at that time, her dad ran uh, a relatively big insurance company. So I was able to- Pardon? Current wife. Current wife at that time. So I was able to go to him. And of course, he's like, I've been doing this 30 years. And I almost had like an advocate to lean on and be and learn and almost felt like if I don't know what I'm going to do right now, I'm married. And at at 18, I had, yeah, at 18, I bought a house in downtown Franklin somehow just from saving. And I'm like, you have a house, you're married. And you're about, you can already see that this dealership, car dealership thing is slowly drifting away. Mm -hmm. And I just felt like, let's go do it. Let's make a bunch of money. Let's go, let's go. And at the time I didn't even really see it like joining the corporate world. Yeah. I thought about, can a rebellious kid go in and do it with his, in his own way? This kind of, you know, skateboard musician car kid so there's a little bit of like a challenge like i'm gonna go in there and i'm not gonna conform Mm -hmm. and i'm gonna see if maybe this will work for me shave my or cut my hair went bought some suits (laughs) sharp suits by the way i'm sure tailored fit into the nine (laughs) you voice it's interesting as you're sharing these stories i'm i'm getting a glimpse into you've always had this thing for brands style things that look great Yeah. yeah it's great and it's like, I definitely am a creative at heart. Like, I feel like if I want, if, if tomorrow I woke up and said, I'm going to go be a songwriter, I don't want to be a musician. I'm going to write songs for mm. great musicians. I feel like I would be able to bring that part out of me. Mm. Right. And so when it comes to branding or logo or design or clothes or my car, like it feels like it all cohesively comes from that creative space. Hmm. Yeah. That's your expression. So here I go, interviewing at Liberty Mutual in Maryland Farms, Brentwood, mm-hmm. Brentwood, Tennessee. I think what was exciting about it is I was the youngest person to ever apply. Mm-hmm. I was not college educated, which is mandatory. And they gave me a chance. They're like, all right, come on. And at first they wouldn't let me be a full time sales rep. I actually worked under somebody as an assistant and he was like a hall of famer in the company, been there 30 years, you know, sold massive amounts of insurance. And I was like, I'll take it. And it was like a $30,000 a year salary with like maybe like 10 K and a bonus. But at that point I was like, you know what, this is, it's secure. And I'm going to max the hell out of these bonuses. Yeah. You know, like I knew that the upside was there and I knew the 30, I was like, I can pay my mortgage. And you know, at that age though, I didn't have anything else to compare it to. Cause that was probably about what I was making as a teenager on the lot. Yeah. So I'm like, Hey, this is, this checks the boxes. And I go, I'm going to go in and I'm going to serve in this season. I'm going to learn a lot. I'm going to make money and I'm going to leave. So I knew it was this, I knew going in, this was just a season. So I go in, start working for him, and within six months, eight months, I went to the manager and said, I'm done being an assistant. I've proven myself. I want to be a full-time rep. So I got licensed and just started selling insurance. And, you know, being from Franklin, I had that kind of natural network of friends that were like, hey, man, you can look at my stuff. I mean, at the end of the day, everyone has it. Mm -hmm. They don't like to talk about it. So I could bring some fun to it or shoot you a text and be like, 
send over a picture of your stuff. I'll run it. I'll give you an answer by the end of the day. Like it's, it was so easy for me to do. And nobody really, most people don't have like a friendship with their agent, right? Yeah. It's either now an automated customer service or, or some guy that your parents had. Yeah. So I was able to do that and, you know, made some good money and had some fun, did it in my way. It was always a little like edgy and I didn't have a Liberty Mutual card. I had like a cool Josh Ellis card with my info. Like I just had to like make, make it feel like it was my own brand as much as they would allow me to do that from okay. a compliance standpoint. So I'm selling insurance and there was a girl there and I right out of the gate. I'm like, this girl's way out of my league. But at that point, you know, I was living at one of my siblings house in Nashville and my wife, ex-wife, we we're in process of all that gave her the house in Franklin. So now I'm this kid that moved from moved to Nashville, had this weirdly refreshing new start at life. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm like 20 done a lot of life up to that point. Yeah. Clearly. And this was like the, I'm going to go, I want to restart type of mentality. Lost a lot of friends through that divorce. Just people that didn't agree with it. Uh, especially coming from a very like small knit Christian community. Lost a lot of friends, people that just were like, I can't support you kind of went through a little bit of a dark time and me and her, you know, turned to each other and, kind of like that was at that time my like secretive safe space to have somebody to like talk about all the stuff I had just been through Mm -hmm. and ultimately turned into a really competitive relationship at work Mm -hmm. outselling each other uh funny enough we're you know driving into work at the same time Mm. going in different entrances walking in at different moments leaving the day and going out the same way and a relationship started and you know, now it's been over 10 years and together and Saturday, two days from now, we'll celebrate six years. And that was, that was the gift of going to Liberty Mutual was finding her. Yeah. So we had fun. You know, I think I won like a rookie of the year award. They sent me like Bahamas and, you know, I was like, I played that game knowing that it wasn't where I was going to stay, but I played it well and I had fun. And then I have these things called like stirring in the spirit. And it's just, it's like the inside intuition that says like, can I cuss? Of course. This thing that says trying to fuck shit up. This, this is what it is. That's, is, the, this that's is the my actual, internal spirit. Really? <laughs> it's time. Like, and I think it, it's like this, it's the rebellious side of me. That's like, let's what's next. It's like going from second gear to third and then third to fourth and RPMs drop and everything. Like it's that feeling where it just kicks in. I was feeling it. I'm like, I'm done here. Yeah. I've served. How many years have you been doing it? Three. Okay. I started having that feeling. I think I was making like 90, a hundred K something like that. So single, I mean dating, but you know, single when it comes to like, you know, being out of that marriage, had the car I wanted, lived in Germantown. I was like, this is great. Like, yeah. I'm in a really good season. I recovered. Parents, their divorce was fine. Like, it was almost like the trauma had settled, hadn't dealt with it, didn't even know what that meant. But I just, time had kind of passed a little bit. So it's in a really good season. And I was like, what's next? 
I started hanging out with like friends that were getting into real estate mm. and they're like, dude, you should get into real estate. You'd be good at it. And one part of my job at, at Liberty Mutual is I was writing home insurance policies for people buying houses. So a lot of my business was coming from mortgage lenders and realtors. Okay. So in a way I was in on those experiences, but I'm making like 200 bucks on a commission. Yeah. For an annual policy when I'm the lender and even the realtor, sometimes they're making 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 K. I'm like, well, there is that. Like I could totally get on that side of the closing table and be in a totally different financial position. Love houses. I've always had like a, you know, an architectural mindset for design. I was like, what if I go into that? Cause at that time I was like, realtors are like, I know my parents are realtors. Like I just saw them as like the 40 to 50 year old with the business card. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know if that's me. And I'm like, dude, you're in freaking insurance. Yeah. You can go and do the same thing in your own way. Yeah. That's and bring that creativity. Up. And so there I was, I had dual screens on my desk on the left side. I'm selling insurance policies on the right side. I'm going through my real estate courses, you know, <laughs> boss would be walking over and be like, <laughs> so boss you know like and i decided to do it so i got licensed got licensed and uh throughout my time there me and my manager who hired me and nicole my wife when most people were in his office talking about how many policies they were selling me and him were talking about the stuff that was falling apart in my life. And we really created this incredible friendship that really became, I guess, a safe place at that aspect of my life. Mm. Also, I think that there was a season where I was a little bit more disconnected from my family and maybe more isolated because a lot of them didn't agree with some of the, it felt like, Oh, he needs, our son's got to go do his thing. Mm. which is he needs some space, right? Mm. Just It's almost like your it's like your version of a walkabout. Yeah, and I think the mental I think some of the thought process is he's leaving his wife when really a lot uh, of our that previous marriage was like this just wasn't something that I think we were supposed to do. Yeah. You know. Got engaged at like 17, right? Yeah. And so I think there was a little bit of like being misunderstood in that season. So then having somebody that was able to just kind of listen and intercede and really kind of the, I would say my first experience of like, wait, I can just talk and not be fixed or judged or left. And somebody actually will just kind of like sit and let me say these things. This is your manager. Mm -hmm. Wow. And it probably wasn't now, or I'm going to talk about our life here in a moment together of where things are mm -hmm. today. But then it was just more of two friends hanging out. But wow, this guy's like my boss. He's mm -hmm. an authoritative figure in my life. He, I think emotionally now with the work I've done, I can be like, he listened and didn't leave. Mm. That's a big fear, right? It's mm. like, oh, what if too much? What if I like share a little too much? What if I'm too real? But we were able to kind of go there. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that was like, I think at that point I started realizing that like for the first time ever, and he and I used to talk about this a lot. I realized it didn't really matter how much money I was going to make. 
And my motivation for going in changed because when I went in, it was all about money. And then I soon realized like, we're not talking millions of dollars, but even being at that age, having, you know, seven to $10,000 a month coming in, I was like, man, maybe the whole money thing that we've been sold is just kind of a big trick at the end of the day. Right. What made you Thinking think that? that? Huh? What made you think that? Just because it was like, oh, I can now I have the freedom to do what I want financially, even with that little bit of money, because my expenses were so low. Why am I not happy by this? And that's when like that money, the whole like realization, like my illusion of money was like, if I can just get, then I will feel. So Uh the more I got, Uh it didn't change how I felt as form of happiness. What Uh actually started working is dealing with the real conversations. That's where I was finding some happiness. And I was like, man, this is some bullshit. Like I was lied to about, cause I knew if I stayed in that role, I could get to 200. Then I could get to 400. Like there was guys in that company that were making 500 a year. Yeah. Doing the exact thing I did. They just do a little bit more of it. Yeah. I didn't need to be smarter, have more education. I just needed to find more policies to sell. And I could look down the hall at the guy I used to work for. And I remember the day, this is metaphorically speaking, looking down the hall going, I can actually see what staying here looks like if I continue to subscribe to more, more, more. And he was an awesome guy I worked under, not my manager, but the original guy that I was an assistant to. Mm-hmm. Great guy. But I was like, I don't know if I want that. Every Monday when he comes in, the amount of policies that he sold for the week goes to zero. Now he has to ramp up by Friday. And then it those the slate gets wiped clean at the end of the year. Now he's back to zero. And I was like, this, this is like a treadmill that I can see the end and already feel like I want to get off. Mm. So I think that was one of the first kind of shadows that I exposed was like, man, if it's not fulfilling work that drives me, if I'm not willing to do it, no matter what it makes, mm. then I'm probably not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Like I, I need to find something that truly fuels my creativity it fuels my need and desire for relationship building through my vocation. And this isn't it. And the only life-giving part of that place was two people. My now wife, Nicole, that I was pretty much a lifeline for that whole season of my life. Mm. And then Brad, which was our behind closed door relationship. That was truly my introduction to like, Man, real conversations between men specifically can be healthy when they're not trying to fix or give advice. They're just sitting in it with you. Mm. <laughs> dude. I get emotional. Holy moly. I mean, just the, <laughs> to even look back and be like, shit, dude, look at it. Even saying all, I've never sat and said any of this out loud in this, in one series. It's always been bits and stories. So say it all out loud. I'm like, oh, that's so much. That's such a, young age and to think about what the things I was going through feels like a life, what felt like a lifetime in such a small amount of time. It is. It's a, most it, of it started probably around 14, 15. Yeah. So we're talking like five or six years to go on this, you know, entrepreneurial journey, business, everything plummets to yeah. a sudden, like dramatic, dramatic experience to now being, getting a taste of money, you know, more money than I think I really needed 
and then experiencing it wasn't what I thought it was going to be to then having this figure come into my life where there was really no male connection and uh, someone pouring into me, somebody opened that door. So I look back and I'm like, I didn't go to corporate world. I went into a world, a season where I unsubscribed to some beliefs around the illusion of money. I was introduced to somebody I was going to marry and I was put into a relationship that I'm still in today, almost on a daily basis conversation with that person, that Mm. manager, Brad, Brad. Mm. So I left, I knew I was going to leave to go do real estate. Yeah. So here I am stirring in the spirit. Let's go. (laughs) I got my first deal, which was a sibling. Uh, Hey, we want to buy a house. East Nashville. So I'm like, all right, if I sell this house, I'm going to make $6,000. What was that in comparison to what you were making with policies? Well, one took me the whole month to do. The other might have taken me eight hours. Yeah. I'm showing a house, writing a contract, getting it to close. And I go, well, what if I did five in a month? Yeah. What if I did two? What if I did 10? And I go, the six, I'm almost ready to jump. What else can I do? So I call the Liberty Mutual retirement tax saving account or whatever they called it at that time. And I go, hey, how much is in my 401k? 21, 20 years old at this point. It can't be much. Yeah. 10k or something. I go, I want it all. And they're like, well, there's penalties until 59 and a half. I go, ma'am, if I'm worried about $10,000 at 59 and a half, I'm highly underestimating myself. I don't think this will be a problem. I need the 10k. <laughs> I took all my 401k out. There was not one person that I could find that was like, I think I think you're on it. I think that's a good idea. You should do that. Yeah. Didn't matter. I walked into a bank, filled out an app application for a house, got approved because I had the work history and the income on paper from Liberty Mutual. And I knew it's funny. We talked about this earlier. I knew when I left, I was going to become unbankable mm-hmm. because I was going into full-time self-employment. So mm-hmm. I was like, need to buy a house. So I bought a house in East Nashville with the 401k money, put that 10,000 down. It was three and a half percent down on like a $150,000 house near Top Golf. Bought that. I had lost my first house because I gave that to my wife. Yeah. There's some caretaking codependency in that situation, but I was like, you can have this. Wish I had that, but it was the, it felt like the right thing to do. And so here I was, I had my house, Took the 401k money. I had the first sale with my sibling. And I was like, this is as ready as I can be. And I remember being, my analogy at that time was jump out of the nest and grow your wings on the way down. I was like, this is what, this is what the spirit stirring feeling was. Like, I don't want to know the plan. I just want to know I need to do the, I need to just jump. This has just been in you from like your birth. (laughs) So now cars, then we move into insurance. Yeah. Then we move into real estate. Yeah. And I think the first six months I had made more than I ever did selling insurance. Mm. It was natural. Came to me natural. People trusted me. It's like now I was involved in the most exciting thing people buy not, I got to mm. buy a car. Mm. I got to get that policy. Like now I'm sitting there going like, <laughs> convincing you to buy life insurance. Now we're going to look at 
amazing homes all day, right? Yeah. You're in like this season of people's life that becomes one of the most exciting things they've ever done. They're not protecting against a devastation with their insurance. Yeah. They're planting seeds, financial seeds for future and life and home. Like it's such an amazing thing to be a part of. And so right out of the gate, it was so life-giving. And then I was like, at that point, I was like, fuck the money. I've already learned that it's not about the money. Now I'm actually doing something I really enjoy. I get to be a part of this journey in people's life. Nashville was exploding at this time in real estate. This is like 2015. At that time, I could be one of the only agents in a coffee shop in Nashville. Wow. wow. Now it's rare. Now I'm like the only person in those coffee shops that's not an agent. This yeah. Thing. Everyone's an agent. Yeah. And I built this Instagram account called Nashville.tn on Instagram, like before people were like building feature accounts. Like 2015, you go, you have like the one filter that looks like a Polaroid. Mm -hmm. Like if you had an Instagram back then, go look at your first photo. Like there wasn't a lot to the app at that time. But I was like, hey, live in Nashville. Here's where you should get coffee, Pinewood Social. And like, think about that. anything <laughs> new, I was Pinewood. featuring them. <laughs> yeah. And then once a week, I would draw a house that I liked. Mm. And it would usually be something mid-century, cool design. And all my business came from my Instagram account in the beginning. Just being a feature account that people started to follow. I think at the time I had 30 or 40,000 followers. Wow. And these are people that were following it as like a Nashville account. Like, oh, I want to... I. I like following this account. It tells me where to get a good cocktail or where it's a happy hour. Or I would spotlight like a business and then bam, there's a house. Mm -hmm. Comments. We want to see this. DMs. Hey, we, we follow you. We love to see this house. And I kind of just started using that Instagram for the first year where I had no referrals, didn't really have any way to find business outside of friends or family. And this became that outlet. So mm -hmm. I started using that as like a way to build my Instagram or build my real estate business. Sorry. And I think I sold like 18 or 20 houses that first year. I think I lost rookie of the year, like for something. And it didn't really matter at that point. Cause I was like, oh, remember when those, those things used to matter to me, like accolades, ego drivers mm. at that point, I'm like, I'm having a hell of a lot of fun. Mm. And now I'm dating this really awesome girl from, my last place. When I went to leave Liberty Mutual, my codependency kept me there longer because I thought I was going to let Brad down, my manager. Mm. The week I was going to go quit, he took all like the top producers in the office out to a really nice restaurant mm -hmm. and let us know he was leaving. And I was like, <laughs> he's taking his check. Uh, check, please. I was like, I'm out of here, too. And I say that because we left in the same season. Mm. Six to eight months later, or within a year later, we ended up starting a company together called The Collective. And at the beginning, there was like a real, I'm not going to get into how we tried to structure it because it was very confusing, but yeah. it was like, I'm going to do real estate and we'll build a real estate team. And what he, his heart was, was working with leaders in organizations to really like lead from the heart. So it was less about tactics, like bring us in and we'll teach your team how to sell more this year. He's like, yeah. let's take the leadership off site, get to the core root of some of the issues and how they're led sales and not your entire teams and the organization, the results will be there. Let's get to the root of it, the core of it. And 
you know, his first client was uh, Bridgestone. Mm-hmm. They just were like, I don't know what you're selling or talking about, but it feels right. We want you to come in and work with our team. And to this day, I think, I don't know, seven or eight years later, he now has built that into just this incredible company. I ended up stepping away because I was like, man, I'm, I'm building a real estate company. You keep doing this. Yeah. We've stayed friends. We're in group therapy every single week. He ended up marrying Nicole and I. Mm. And, you know, he'll be in my life for the rest of my life. And now our relationship is like, we thought we were talking about real stuff then. Now we talk about the real stuff. Show up every week and just feel out loud mm. and with another large group of guys. So feel out loud. That relationship was massive. Still is to this day. Big supporter. Big, true, deep, like, I want a lot of my relationships to reflect how that relationship is. When was the next shadow um, in entrepreneurship? Let's see. Most of the shadows, I think, uh, came when I left real estate. Mm. So I'll shift into that. I did real estate for probably four or five years selling, you know, listing houses, selling to people who are buying somewhere around the time I kind of niche down more to investors. I want to help people grow money. Right. Uh-huh. So I go less from like, you know, the young couple want to buy a house more so to like, who's got hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars sitting in an account and they want to start buying real estate. I'm your guy. So that was kind of what I, that was the new business. It's called Simple House. And I think we, I think actually the website's still up, Simple House Real Estate. And the whole concept was simplifying real estate to basically create a life that gives you more freedom to do the things you love. Mm-hmm. If you have assets paying you every month, all of a sudden that's when my, my relationship with money started changing more to using it as a tool for freedom. Everything we've been taught, probably from the school system into the college system, Mm -hmm. into the workforce, is all about trading your time for money. Uh Nine to five. That's a reflection of these hours can equal this money. Salary. I have to work this much this year, and they'll tell me I can get paid this much. Uh Commission. You got to put this much time into selling, and as a reward, you'll get this much. Uh And I started going, this is illusion or shadow number two. We are not meant to work every freaking day of our life. Cause we're missing out on what life's really about. And I started looking going like, I want to help people start buying rental properties. So every single month there's passive income coming into their life that allows them to pay bills, have peace in the mind, peace in the heart can be present in their life. Like I, for me, investing all of a sudden became like this gateway drug to freedom, to mm. just being more available in life. And yeah, now I've been able to put, better words and translation to it. But at the time that was the basic principle of simple house. So me and a buddy, Ethan Nicodemus started that started working with investors, loved it, but eventually realized like, man, I'm making a lot of people wealthy and putting them in great positions. And I'm not really doing that for myself. Mm-hmm. So my brother and I started buying rental properties and Ethan and I started buying rental properties and there was a stirring in the spirit. <laughs> oh, this seems to be a cycle here. Three to four years stirring. 2019. I realize 
there's a new season coming. Behind the scenes in 2016, 2017, I had a backyard birthday party for my birthday. And I had met a guy through that Instagram. He reached out and was like, just moved to Nashville. Don't know anybody. Want to get coffee? Went to Pinewood Social. <laughs> I mean, back then there was not a lot of cool places. Pinewood was really cool. I remember when I first came you back go to Nashville. And you're like, it doesn't matter if you're like uh, Pinewood again. You take someone there for the first time or have a meeting. Yeah. There's an energy there. It feels really great. Yeah. And I remember asking this guy in this meeting, if you could, if money didn't matter and that fear that we've all subscribe to this weird illusion of like safety around money. And we all have our own narratives, right? We all have our own psychological belief system about money that was stemmed from our, the way our parents manage money, the way that we've managed money. We didn't weren't taught credit score. We don't know how to use credit cards. No one really taught us that financial literacy. So there's a bit, that's a whole different thing I'm very passionate about. But I asked him if the fear of money was removed, right? Mm -hmm. What would you wake up and do every day? Because I truly think the answer to that question is what most people would be most happy doing. And all they did is had to remove a me mechanism that was blocking that fear, right? Mm -hmm. Which is, what if I don't make enough money to do that? Um, he, comes, he came from the beverage space, Southern California, moved here, was selling alarm systems to make ends meet. And his answer was like, I'm something along the lines of, I love making cocktails using unique ingredients and like watching people enjoy the drinks I make something like that. And I'm like, this dude's like a, cr a creator at heart and his vehicle of creativity is behind the bar. Mm -hmm. Cool. Didn't really know if I'd see him again. Called him months later about this backyard birthday party. Hey man, I want to do something unique, different. Can you come and like, full leather apron bar tools like come to your come to your bartending stuff and i want to make my party like a little elevated mm -hmm. so at that time you had ginger ale tonic soda water coke like think about 2016 2017 unless you knew what you were doing as a bartender at home you're just kind of doing if you're and at that time like we weren't i wasn't really drinking spirits neat yeah or like on the rocks it was like i want a cocktail an old-fashioned you know sugar cube doing all this like whatever google recipe you could find so i'm like this will elevate it he's like sure when is it i'm like it's tomorrow he's like well now i'm working at emmer ski lodge i gotta i'm working in hospitality can't do it right before he hung up the, hung up the phone he said you know what let me just do something just show up to your birthday and i'm gonna i'll take care of it I'm like all right called Nicole. Hey, this guy's coming over. I met him once. Just let him in the house. He's cool. I get to my birthday and there's a self-serve bar card on the back porch. Mm -hmm. What he had done is taken his cocktails from the bar and just made a bunch of them and put them in like mason jars, I believe. And had these little handwritten cards where he actually like drew every garnish. Like I'm like, this dude is a craftsman. At yeah, art. Like his yeah. attention to detail and quality. And he wrote on there like pour ounce and a half of mix. And I don't even think we realized, but I wasn't going to make him buy all the liquor. So I'm like, I'll buy, just tell me what liquor to buy. All of a sudden you had these two worlds come just collide of right. the cocktail and the liquor mixed by the person enjoying the drink. Uh -huh. Thank goodness he didn't bring the liquor and pre-mix it. Or we may not be sitting here talking about this story. 
So that night, a couple things happened. Number one, everybody was had fun making their own drink. Equal parts. You can't really mess it up. Mm-hmm. Number two, the drinks were phenomenal. I'm like, if I can have this old-fashioned every day at my house, I would. But you can't because I don't know how to make them, and I don't want to go buy all the ingredients. Mm-hmm. I realized that <laughs> as a host, I feel like this is how hosting should be. More time with your people, less time prepping drinks and buying ingredients. Now, the fascinating thing is Bradley, my co-founder now, or the guy, the bartender at that time, we both loved hosting. The difference is when he would host, he'd found himself making drinks for everybody all night, looking right. at their glasses, going back to the kitchen. I loved hosting, but I didn't know how to make any drinks. Shared passion, different problems. Mm-hmm. All just wanting to spend more time with people in the living room or on the back porch or wherever you are on the beach. So we put our heads together and we're like, let's just take all these batches that you're making. Let's figure out how to sell them to people so they can drink at home mm-hmm. and have this quality of cocktail. So we spent a, about a year and a half, put a thousand bucks in a bank account, called him, said, let's do it. And... We fit, he was cooking in this in like co-working kitchens, like where food trucks prep. He's cooking in his kitchen at home. His wife's like seeing it's like a scientist, right? Has all these beakers and pH strips and figuring out what day the drinks start to like have bacterial growth. Like we were literally just wow, you know, Breaking Bad in the middle of his kitchen. And you're still doing real estate. Still doing real estate. Get your uh, basically your two monitors up yet again. Yep. Mm-hmm. And. How I saw it is if you build it, I'll sell it, right? Mm-hmm. He he was going to be really the person that formulated the product. Yeah. And then my vision is, well, I can just go out and solve problems for people that want to make drinks at home, right? It's another product I'm selling, same principle that I was taught yeah. and integrated into me. And just something that's fun and different, like beverage. I know nothing about it. So middle of 2019, I'm like, the stirring in the spirit started to happen. I'm like, what am I going to do next? And again, this business that he and I started, it's like 50 to hundred K a year out of the trunk of our cars. We're putting in like maybe three hours a week. Oh wow. Like it was just a side hustle. Okay. Like somebody was like, Hey, can I get a case of your old fashioned meet them in the Gulch? Wipe their card. <laughs> like there was a time where under my feet at my desk was all of our inventory. Wow. I put my feet on it while I'm working on real estate. That was our inventory. It was three cases. And so it just wasn't, it didn't really turn into much, but we just kept it going because enough people just kept asking for it. Yeah. Just in Nashville. Yeah. And uh, so here I am pondering, what's the next big scary thing I can go do? I'm like thinking about business ideas, sketching them out, looking, I always used, I loved looking for problems. When I see someone struggle, I'm like, there's, I know there's a way to fix that struggle. So I lo- I was very perceptive of like watching the human struggle and looking for a way at solutions. So uh-huh. I'm like just observing, I'm doing all this stuff. And then one day I'm like, why are you trying to build something new? You have a product that if 10 people try it, you get the 10 of the same reactions, which is like, this is holy mo- This is great. This tastes fresh. Uh-huh. And I'm like, there's proof of concept because you've seen all these events you've done. We have, we had served it to thousands of people in person, Bradley and I, when he wasn't at the restaurant, I wasn't selling real estate. We're doing these events, just pouring drinks uh-huh. and 
is the same reaction. And I'm like, you know that people like it. Mm. You know you're doing something different because nobody has taken cocktails out of the bar and put them in a bottle. There's been companies that have done mixers and use like concentrates and like lime flavoring. But has anyone done exactly what you guys are doing? At this point, we found a manufacturer in Dixon. We had a one-year shelf life. I'm like, so you have the product. You have your partner who can make it. You have this desire to build something. You have a manufacturer. I'm like, what's missing? He's like, well, no one's running this thing. No one's committed to it. No one's learning how to build it. Maybe I'm about to be a beverage guy. <laughs> so listening to Bigger Pockets, it's a podcast all about real estate, all day, every day. I remember one day taking them out, typing in beverage. And starting to listen to every beverage podcast. And it was just this shift happened. It was like, an, uh, we, my wife and I had a three and a half week trip to Europe planned, uh-huh. you know, making all this real estate money. Let's go on this trip uh-huh. and take our nine month old, which was amazing. Oh yeah, we had a kid, by the way. <laughs> Got married, had a kid. So yeah. here's where we are in life. This was 2019, right? So we're, we're sped up. Yeah. And I'm like, when I come back from this trip, I'm no longer like getting up to do real estate. That was my idea. It was like going to be a sabbatical to come back. Yeah. I met this guy that I'd already known and he took me out for drinks or to hang out one night and he goes, Josh, I think you have something here. And this is when I'm pondering whether to do this or not. Yeah. This random guy takes me out that I I've known, but he goes, didn't know him that well. He goes, Look, you have something here with your drink company. You're not committed. It's never going to turn in anything unless somebody runs this thing, becomes the face of it, builds it, like truly turns it into a real business, mm-hmm. not just this kind of side hustle. He goes, I think you just need someone to hold you accountable and to like walk with you during this. Um, <sighs> my me Again, me and Bradley weren't really doing anything with it. He's like, somebody needs to. If you're willing to do three things, number one, sell a piece of rental property and put that, put some of that money in a bank account because you're not going to be able to pay yourself for six months and you're going to need some cash to really start building this thing the way it needs to be built. Uh-huh. Number two, you have to quit real estate. There's no way you can do both and it's not going to work if you're doing both. Number three, you got to go home and... uh See if your wife's on board. If you're willing to do those three things, I'll meet you here every Monday and we'll start walking in this journey. And he goes, all I'll do is we'll come up with a list of things for you to do. And next Monday you come back and we'll see if you did them. And we'll set a new list. I'll see you Monday. <laughs> that was it. Went home, told, told Nicole. She goes, I, I've seen you do this before. And now you actually have something that's fully yours. Like mm. it's owned. You believe in it. And she ran all those events with us. We had like a 150 square foot bottle shop in East Nashville at one point, like in 2018 or something. And she was running that. She's like, it works. We know enough to know that there's something here. Mm. Let's do it. And so we went on our Europe trip, came back, fixed all the label issues, found cheap, you know, started looking at bottle pricing, got with the manufacturer and said, Hey, thanks for everything you've done this far. 
I'm about to go and take this to the moon. It's like, all right, I'm here to support, you know, like how many people have gone and been like, Hey, manufacturer, get ready. Sold. I, I've had a lot of cars, Land Rovers are my, probably one of my favorite vehicles. And I had one I loved and came back, sold it, bought a box van, put a pallet in the back and went to every liquor store I could literally went to zero look bad on paper now financially yeah have no money coming in yeah nothing just had a little savings from selling the house and I, this was all in hum very humbling scary as shit excited and just like it's like i had a brave heart to like like an anger for it i'm going to do this i'm going to make this work and i'm all in it's like i had I really didn't even have that whole, like in the real estate thing, like all the things perfectly teed up. Yeah. This was the one that was just like, let's go. Like after six months, we'll either have a company that didn't make it. I can go back to real estate or we're going to build something here. What gives you that ability though? I feel, do you feel like you've just been born with that ability to take risks? Is it faith? I know you're a man of faith. <laughs> Most people don't do that. <laughs> I'm at my best when I'm the most scared. <laughs> it makes me uncomfortable just thinking about that. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like this feeling of like, I know what it's like to be an autopilot, getting up and doing, waking up on the same side of the bed, checking my phone the same way, thinking about my problems driving the same car, the same route to work, to work for the same person, to solve the same problems, to come home and go to bed the same way. Like, I know that. And then I know the feeling of, I have to solve a problem in 48 hours or something might happen to the company mm -hmm. or something amazing could happen to the company. Like, I love that feeling. I hate it because it doesn't feel good. Yeah. But I love it because I'm never the same when I get on the other side of the challenge. Right. Wow. The shadow in that example is that most people think the op the entrepreneur or the business looks like it could be doing well. And it's so scary on the inside, mm -hmm. which is we don't fully know. Like I didn't fully know what my dad was experiencing. And now I do. Mm-hmm. And now I can really respect and appreciate and honor people that run their own business. Cause I'm able to be like, we, we actually can talk about our scar tissue and be like, I have that too. Mm. Right. Cause it's all these stories of like nine times out of 10 things are not going great mm. when you're running a business. And that 1% gives you enough strength to power through the nine. You just need that. It's like hope. Entrepreneurship to me is having a vision of something in the future and waking up every day to try to get it there. I mean, you, you're never going to get there because when you get closer to that, that vision gets bigger or brighter or different or it shifts. So you're almost going at it knowing this isn't, what I think I'm here to achieve is going to be, is going to look different when I get close to it. Mm. So it's like being on a treadmill. If you're running down the street. You know where you're running to. You're running on a treadmill. You're actually not going anywhere. 
Yeah. But you're still exercising and moving that body and getting those endorphins. Like you almost have to get on this road knowing I'm not just getting to the end and being like, I made it. You're getting on going like, there's not really a destination. I just got to keep loving it. I love it while I do it. Have fun. Be able to like laugh and cry in the same day because it connects you so closely to like real emotions of like, I'm scared of shit, but I'm super happy that this happened. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of fear about this thing. Uh, maybe not working out or look at the friendships that I've been able to make by sharing my story out loud. They're better friendships than knowing a bunch of people, Mm -hmm. which was a different season of my life. I just want to be known. I want everyone to know me. Now it's like, I want people to see me and that circle gets smaller but the relationships get deeper, right? Mm. So I think to answer your question, it's like, there's something about, it's like working, it's like wanting to get, change something in your life. Most people aren't willing to make the change until something bad happens. Yeah, You can change in time of hope and inspiration. You can change in time of pain and suffering. Most people wait for pain and suffering. They get a diagnosis. Oh, I'm going to change. Yeah. Why wait for that? What if you can actually make change during time of inspiration? I think most people just don't want to experience the change because it's going to be more pain than it will be joy. Yeah, it's uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have a, there's two things I want to say on this. I have a banner above my desk that says, comfort is a slow death. And people in the company, it's like a joking thing sometimes. They're like, well, it's Josh. Of course he's going to go make that decision because probably the most uncomfortable thing we can do right now. Like it's Mm. almost become this way of how I operate is I know that if I run toward the scariest things, I won't be the same on the other side of them, which isn't that growth. It's like most of the time we're growing through our most uncomfortable transitions. If everything's just happy and easy, you're not really growing, you're sustaining. Yeah. Uh, The second thing I'll say is because I love the word brave. I had another little... Side project I started called peoplearebrave.com. Still out there. And I'll get back to that project one day. I love the word brave. To me, brave is not the, and this is a perfect example for this right here. It's not the absence of fear. It's the ability to hold fear and courage at the same time and still step forward. Yeah. yeah. So I have a lot of people that are like, man, it's so easy for you. You're always killing it. And I'm like, sit with me for five minutes. And I'll probably paint a picture that, will really help you really know what I go through. It's not all this like glory. Most of it is just like, Hey, that when people say we're killing it, I'm like, I feel like I'm getting killed by it. Mm. You're crushing it. I feel like what you see is crushing. It is the thing that I feel crushed by, Mm. but isn't that the cost of like building something great, right? Something big, like the real stories, like go read the Airbnb story, the Uber story, watch the documentaries. We work. They're so fascinating that the human perception must be they're public. They're big. They do 10 billion a quarter, whatever the number is you go and watch the journey of what it took to build Spotify and WeWork or any, any company out there or the freaking garden shop down the road. You go talk to that mom and pop that owned that shop. They're going to, you get behind the curtain. They're going to tell you about the times the electricity got turned off. Yeah. Or all their plants died during a winter and they had no inventory for spring. Whatever it is, to me, I love that concept of like most people in entrepreneurship, 
are looked at as like it's glamorized this like in culture right now i think like, yeah hey buy my course i'll teach you how to be a millionaire or like it's almost been sold on the corner for yeah. everybody to just swing by pay a couple bucks get a dose and it's like no it's not the like the real journey <laughs> of it is a lot of pain and suffering mm. and like i said that one percent that like one thing that happens in a day that reminds you that this is a choice you're choosing to go through that you're choosing to risk it all there's days where my wife says are we going to be okay maybe <laughs> you know because here's the thing i'm okay either way yeah that's i'm power, okay man. if something happens in my business today that i can't control like a, a flood yeah in my dad's case or you know we run out of cash like i've actually been able to separate myself from any shame guilt failure that i might have for myself when you mean you mean you're separating your identity from the, the yeah. success success or failure yeah and it's not like it's going to be easy like if we if one of my businesses like went bankrupt like that's not gonna be easy like oh josh was just able to brush that off no it's gonna be so much that i'll have to go through yeah but i'm a but i would not attach myself to like i guess i guess you aren't able to do it i'd be able to go like what did i do wrong in it what decisions could we have made differently? What were the things, where did I start, stop having fun? Yeah. It became a job and I'd be able to like step back and really analyze it. And, and I would go do it again in a different way, but it's beautiful. You know, it's just, I think to me, that's a, that's a big shadow of all of it is like, I'm learning in therapy right now to accept acknowledgement from people like congratulations or like, Hey, that's all that happened. Cause my instinct is to be like, yeah, but let me tell you how scary it's been. And I think there's a healthy side to that, but I almost don't even give room to accept the compliment and mm. to give, be like, Hey dude, this isn't pride or ego. This is like, or maybe it is pride. You should be proud of yourself and mm. your team. And I want to give more space to that because my instinct is to tell people like, you see the light, I see the shadow. Let me show you the shadow so you'll know me better. Mm -hmm. Let me show you the shadow so you'll know that the thing that you see as big is also as big of excitement, also is as big of scary. Mm -hmm. Got a $500,000 order, great. They're not going to pay us for three months. How do, we, how do we pay for that now? How do I produce that inventory? Right. You know, there's so many different sides of it. Uh, so my hope for people is that the more they talk about it, the more connected the relationships will feel. And people are like, man, I know how to be there for you now. I now know what you're going through. I know how to support you. I know how to listen. Mm. I know how to not try to fix or tell you what to do mm. and hold space for you. So the beverage thing has been fun. I think I, people, I mean, if I was listening, I'd be like, well, what happened with the, what's going on now? Like it, you know, we, uh, we grew very quickly during the pandemic. Like I'm driving around this box van and then everybody gets shut down and in yeah. 2020. We started running advertising and, you know, went, went from like doing, you know, 60, 70 a year to, we did a, you know, 
about a hundred a month for seven months straight and kind of actually it was more than that. We did about a million and some change from April of 2020 to the end of the year. Wow. All because I was willing to hold that fear and that courage at the same time. Mm-hmm. And it worked out. And I've, you know, fortunately for us, it, we were able to take advantage of a situation that a lot of people had a lot of pain and suffering in, which yeah. is COVID. Yeah. Um, and that was a gift. Couldn't control it. We didn't really take advantage of it. It was a gift. Like, mm-hmm. hey, people were stuck at home. Didn't you create a product that's all about helping people gather, whether they're like gathering with their wife and they're mm-hmm. having a drink going, hey, what's going on in the world? This is tough. Yeah. Let's have a cocktail together and talk about that. Or soda water and drink it as a mocktail. Like the amount of gathering that we probably did with Co is the name of the company. It stands for with company. Like the amount of people that we've been able to help drink with company since 2020 of me going all in on this Mm -hmm. is in the hundreds of thousands. And it's like the mission fully lived out loud. It's it's amazing. It's cool to sell a drink. Yeah. Yeah. It's different when you understand that. Everyone you sell to is becoming your marketer because they're kind of gathering with people. And then that person's like, what do we do? What is this old fashioned? This is good. It's like this community just continues to grow. And I get chills. We've talked many times, but in this moment right now, I, I get chills thinking about these early, just seeing this thread of you needing human connection, solving problems, deep relationships, and you've been able to create something that enables people to mm. to do that themselves. Yeah. What a gift. Yeah. It is it's quite interesting. It's like some days I'm like, what do we do? We bottle cocktails. Why do we do it? <laughs> to bring community together. Mm-hmm. And it's just it is fascinating and you know. I can see the season of what might be next for me and I'm in no rush to get there, mm. but I'm excited. I think about, you know, the next stirring of the spirit. I'm definitely not just going to jump <laughs> out of this one. This one, I'm a little bit, um, it's, it's pretty built up. It's not as easy as like, I'm not selling houses anymore. Yeah. Um, no, I'm in this. I want to see this through. Yeah. I want to do it right. Find great partners. I mean, we've, we've launched in a retail and bars and restaurants. We're doing some fun stuff, but, the end of the day, it's like keeping it or protecting the journey where I don't isolate myself when it's tough. I connect with others when it's tough. Mm-hmm. That's a big part of this, right? Like talking today, I'm like, this feels way better to talk about my journey out loud because if anyone's watching, they might go, man, I've heard of that company, but I actually now feel connected to the guy that started it mm-hmm. because I know more of the story it's a little bit more real it's not yeah. just last thing i wanted to ever do is get on something and talk about how great i am i'm like i want to get on talk about how tough doing the things that people see as great really takes the cost of it the shadow of it right yeah and we keep saying shadow i think the best way of saying it is to explain that is people especially in business often show they want the light to be seen which is look at all the things we're doing. Yeah. And I think my analogy or what I really think is super important in my journey and hopefully it encourages other people is behind me and that light 
there's an there's a shadow that's I'm reflecting on the ground. And a lot of times those are the things we try to protect or protect ourselves from other people finding out. Mm -hmm. Specifically to entrepreneurship, it's usually the, the, the challenges, the struggles, the, the thousand no's for the one yes we put in the light. I'm like, well, that doesn't teach anybody. That doesn't help anybody, anybody feel connected to how to start in their own life on their entrepreneurial journey. Yeah. What they probably need to know is, hey, these are all, this is all the other stuff that came. This is the cost of what I had to go through for you to see the thing that we all think is exciting in business. And I just think it's, if I want to encourage people to start their journey in entrepreneurship, it would not be in their best interest or mine to show them one thing and for them to really figure out how to start or what to expect on that journey. Mm. And I like just talking about the shadows because I think it's it's what makes me feel most connected to people when they talk about theirs mm. and hopefully makes them feel a bit more connected with me when I can talk about mine. So it'll be interesting in like five years when we look back and you're like, let's talk about the... Uh, Talk about the last few stirrings in the spirit, whatever that, that's my ter term for it. Oh, hundred percent. And you see it. It's like every three to four years you have a stirring. Yeah, something. What a gift, man. Your heart's a gift. I, I sincerely mean that. I feel more connected to you than I ever have. Um, I just, I, I, I appreciate you very much. Yep. Appreciate the time. Let's go.